this morning we are uh, continuing our journey through Romans. Uh, we are in what a lot of people refer to as the imperative side of Romans, the practical side of Romans, right? Paul is, has finished telling us the awesome things of God, and now he's uh, telling us how to live it out. And basically what Paul is going to show us is what it looks like to live out a renewed mind in light of the mercies of God. In our passage, and, and really the entirety of Romans 12 through 16, is driven by two verses found in chapter 12. So if you would just flip back one page, find Romans chapter 12 in your copies of God's Word, verses 1 and 2. And this is what it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And what we're going to find out in our passage this morning is that submission to the government is not only an act of worship, and not only does it honor God, but also it's part of what it means to live out a renewed mind. And when you've been changed by Jesus, a proper response towards the government should come out. And one of the ways that we live out this renewed mind is how we view the government. And I promise our passage is much more exciting than it sounds. Uh, within this passage, we're going to see how Paul instructs believers to honor God with both their attitude and their actions towards the government. And most of the time when we come across a passage like this that um, we find difficult to obey and uh, we're uncomfortable with, immediately we start to uh, think of reasons not to obey. Uh, we, we try to wiggle out of it. And Douglas Moo, who wrote one of the best commentary on Romans, said of our passage this morning, he said, it's only a slight exaggeration to say that the history of the interpretation of Romans 13, 1 through 7 is the history of attempts to avoid what seems to be its plain meaning. So what Moo tells us is that throughout church history, what people have done when they come to Romans 13 is they try to wiggle out of it. They try to avoid it. They try to say, well, it means this, but kind of not really. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the exceptions to this passage. There are some. We'll get to those at the end. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about those exceptions because the Apostle Paul does not talk about those exceptions. And I'm going to mention that a few times in my message. Yes, elsewhere in Scripture there are exceptions, and like I said, we'll get to that towards the end. And it's going to be tempting for us to take a look at this passage and want to skew it towards us and apply our ideological preferences and think of all the ways that we feel personally persecuted and wronged. But doing that is a clear violation of this text. On the surface, the meaning behind this passage is clear and plain. We're not going to spend a ton of time exegeting these verses. We will. We're going to spend more time talking about the application and what does it mean for you and me. So rather than trying to wiggle out of this, rather than trying to argue this passage away, my prayer is that we would hear God's word as it is presented. So 
With that being said, would you please join me in prayer briefly before we jump into our passage? Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the way that you love us. God, I pray that my words this morning would be heard with grace. God, I pray that the way that I present this passage would be done in truth and in love. Father, help us to hear from you this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So if you would take a look at verse 1. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. The Apostle Paul tells us, uh, starts out by telling us that every person should be subject to the governing authorities. Well, why is that? Because there is no authority except from God, and all authorities in place have been placed there by God. The authorities that exist in your life and in my life are there because God has placed them there. They're an extension of God's authority. They have authority because God gave it to them. And yes, sometimes uh, God gives nations good rulers and bad rulers, and you could make that argument, but the point here is that those who are over you are there because God has placed them there. And there are several authorities that the Bible tells us to be submissive to, but here the Apostle Paul is focusing on governing authorities, and our attitude towards those governing authorities ought to be one of submission. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be in submission to the governing authorities? Well, I think that it's really important to note that Paul uses the word be subject rather than obey. This was intentional. He used the word for submission rather than obey. The word that Paul uses here literally means to arrange things in their proper order, to, to place things in an orderly manner underneath something else, to, to recognize uh, that there are authorities that have been placed above you and that you have a place underneath them. The word that the, Paul, that the Apostle Paul chose not to use, obey, is a much stronger word in the New Testament. It means to conform, to follow a command, to kowtow to an authority as a subordinate. See, they're not mutually exclusive, but submission is really more of a mindset. It's really more of an attitude that influences your speech, your thoughts, and your actions. Obedience is a part of submission. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But the Apostle Paul is telling us to recognize that those in uh, the government above us are representatives, our mayors, our senators, our presidents, and so on, are over us because God has placed them there. And ultimately, our response towards those authorities ought to be one of submission. And how we view them is a reflection of how we view God. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that in verse 2. Look, take a look at verse 2. He says, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. So, why should we submit? Why should we be subject to governing authorities? Well, number one, because they are there because God has placed them there. They are an extension of God's authority. And number two, to avoid judgment to avoid God's wrath. Not only are they placed there by God, 
But when we resist, when we do not have that attitude of submission towards them, we bring God's judgment on ourselves. Now, some people uh, think that this is the ruler's judgment. It's kind of a both and with an emphasis on God's judgment, and we'll get into that. Uh, We'll see that a little bit later. But what Paul is getting at here is that resisting government authority and not being submissive, now hear me clearly, is one of the signs of lostness. It's not an end-all, be-all. It's not a grand slam home run of being lost. But it may point to not knowing Jesus. Because ultimately, the authorities above us are a reflection of God. And we know this because twice already in two verses, Paul has tied this command to be submissive to government to God's authority. Not submitting to government authorities is on the same level as not submitting to God. And the authorities in place have been placed there by God. And it's part of our civic duty, and it's part of obeying the Bible, to recognize that the authorities above us uh, are, are there because of God and have an attitude of submission towards them. And when we don't, we bring God's judgment on ourselves, and we signal to the rest of the world that our hearts may not be in a good place. Take a look at verse 3. It gives us uh, another reason. Verses 3 and 4. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant, that's important to note, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, that's important, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And here Paul is telling us that it's not hard to be in submission To the government, it's not hard. For the most part, and hear me out here, for the most part, throughout history, even really evil, bad governments have had some sense of rewarding good and punishing evil. Yes, there are exceptions, and I'm sure that you could list them off for me right now. I get that. But generally speaking, For the most part, this is how things work. Governing authorities reflect God's providential ordering here in the world for our good and for his glory. This is how governments are supposed to act. And and we'll get into a little bit later what happens when they don't act this way. But governments are meant to reflect God here on earth. And we are called to submit as though we're submitting to God because government falls in all as bad as it may be sometimes, is infinitely worse than the alternative of chaos and anarchy. These are instructions to to Christians, to believers, to people who who have already met Jesus. And after years of of intense theological study and, and, and looking at God's Word and reading commentaries, I've learned that almost all of the Bible's commands to Jesus' followers, right, post-conversion, can be summed up in this way. Don't be a jerk. That's really what the Bible tells us. When you come to meet Jesus, your instructions after that are don't be dumb and don't be a jerk, more or less. And that's what the Apostle Paul is telling us, is if if you're living the life that you're called to live and you live in line with the gospel... We can expect not only a life without fear, but also the approval and praise of rulers. 
And we've seen this in the Bible where the people of God have good conduct and they're able to influence ruling authorities. And once again, the Apostle Paul does not put qualifiers here. It's not our job to hand down judgments onto governments. It's not our job to judge them in the final hour. That's God's job. He will judge them. He will hand down his ruling. Our role right now is to submit through the lens of Scripture. And we may not like it, but the people in place above us are serving God's purposes. And we can trust that God has a plan in place for those purposes, even when we don't understand. Take a look at verse 5. He says, Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And this verse is immensely important to Paul's argument. I don't want you to miss what's going on. He's summarizing verses 1 through 4 here. We should be submissive not only because they are there because of God, not only to avoid God's wrath, right? Not only for the, the praise and approval of rulers, but also for the sake of conscience. Conscience here refers to a believer's knowledge of God's will and purposes. And throughout the New Testament, this idea of conduct, conscience, and witness are all intimately tied together. We know that the way we should behave. We know what's right and wrong. You don't need me up here telling you what's right and wrong. You know the way that we should behave towards the government. And our conduct to a broken world that needs Jesus speaks volumes about the work being done in our hearts by Jesus. And when your attitudes and actions don't reflect submission, you leave a poor witness to the world about the work being done in your heart. Take a look at verses 6 and 7. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. And for the sake of avoiding God's wrath and all the, all the reasons that we've listed above, the benefit and, and what we get to do is we get to pay taxes. Yay! Isn't that fun? We get to do that once a year. And, and it's always it's a surprise. It's a guessing game of, of what the number is going to be. Are we going to owe? Are we going to get back? But we get to pay taxes, right? And, and the authorities in place above us, placed there by God, here, they, here it is again. He says they are ministers of God, have instituted that. And before we start getting all up in arms, right, of, of getting upset, Paul calls them ministers. He calls them servants twice. Before we start getting all up in arms about who's doing what, and who's affiliated with doing what, and who signed off on what law. I want you to keep in mind that the Roman government was not exactly a picture of perfection. Very soon after writing this section, Nero would become emperor, and he would spend his fair share of time persecuting Christians. Domitian would soon follow after, and some would argue that he is worse than Nero. But if we believe that God is sovereign, and not only knows the future, but he ordains our steps towards that future, then this section does not change with who is in power. Now, it seems obscure. It seems weird that the Apostle Paul, he gives us all these reasons to submit, submit because of this. And what's our response? Pay taxes. It's so weird and obscure. Why that one thing and only that one thing? Well, uh, these letters are situational. 
Right, there, was, there was a situation going on in Rome, and the thought here is that Roman Christians were upset about a tax being imposed on them by the Roman government, and they didn't want to pay it. And it wasn't so much, I don't want to pay it because I can't afford it, but it's, I don't want to pay it because I don't like the way that the Roman government is using my money. But the Apostle Paul's instructions are clear, is pay your taxes. Pay what you owe, direct taxes, indirect taxes, fees, revenues, dues, pay them. Jesus gave a similar command in Mark 12, 17. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Here again, the Apostle Paul does not give exceptions to the statement. It's not pay your taxes if, it's not pay your taxes but, it's pay your taxes. You may disagree with how our government is using your tax dollars, but that's no excuse not to pay them just for reverence. The Roman government was using taxes during this time to fund things like slavery, genocide, and all kinds of things that we would find abhorrent. There are no conditional statements. There are no loopholes. As citizens living in this world, for the sake of conscience, for the sake of your witness to a lost and broken world, fulfill your civic duty. Do the things that honor God by submitting to the government. Paul here also includes towards the end a command to give respect and honor to who that is owed. And given the context of what he's just written, we can assume, it's safe to assume that respect and honor is due to those above us. Right? It's important to note here that Romans 13 is not a comprehensive understanding of our role with the government. It's a snapshot. You have to take other passages and, and take a look at what it says on how we should obey the government and submit to the government. Balance is needed in our life. On the one hand, we should not skew Romans 13 with a bunch of qualifiers and conditional statements. The government is placed because of God. It's a reflection of his authority here on earth, and it's our job to submit both in deed and in attitude towards that government. The government, flaws and all, is there to accomplish God's will and purposes on earth. Now, on the other hand, we should not give the government absolute rights over us. And we need to evaluate everything through the lens of Scripture. Because even the governing authorities are subordinate to God. So my encouragement to you, before we jump into our application, is to pray for your leaders. Pray for those above you. Give thanks to God for governing authorities. Be prepared to follow its commands, even those that go against your ideological preferences. So how should we live this out? What does this mean for you and me? I'm going to give you two points of application, and they're questions. They're questions that you should ask yourself. I want you to write them down and, and really think on them, because these are important. Number one, does your attitude towards the government honor God? Does your attitude towards the government honor God? Your attitude towards the government says a lot about your relationship with God. So really think about this one. Do your thoughts towards a particular leader honor God? When you look at your Facebook feed, when you take a look at your Twitter likes, when you take a look at your text messages or your email threads, do you get the impression that you're someone that honors and respects those above us? Now before anyone gets upset at what I'm saying, I'm not talking about whether or not you like them. I'm not talking about whether or not you agree with them. 
but it's do you believe that God has placed them there and will you honor God with your attitude towards that person? Right, we're, not, we're not robots. The Apostle Paul is not commanding us to be robots who mindlessly obey, who are ignorant and unnecessarily cheerful. Right? He does not have in mind this 1984 uh, dystopian future where we love the leader and he can do no wrong. That's not what he's talking about here. Yes, there is place for criticism. And yes, there is place for complaints. But would you say your general attitude towards those in power is honoring or dishonoring to God? And it's important not to let your personal biases, your social media consumption, or your news media consumption win over what God's Word says. And if you're struggling with that, if you have a hard time with that, if you're, if you're someone who lets social media affect you in a way that's really, really negative, here's my encouragement to you. It's put down the screen. Turn off your phone. Turn off the TV. Pray for your leaders and spend time in God's Word. Social media, I think, does a lot more harm than it does good. I, I really, truly believe that. Social media exists to make you mad. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, on the Blue Valley Pastor Speak podcast a while back, there was an episode featuring Chris Martin and Pastor Micah Hayes. Chris Martin works with social media. He's, he's uh, what I would call an expert on social media. And there was some really solid insight on there. There was some really solid advice. But one thing that really stuck with me is that Chris said that social media is a business and it's in their best interest that you stay engaged with that business. And they found that the best way to get people to stay engaged on social media or on a post or on a topic or on a page is to make them mad. It's to make them... They want you angry because they found that when you're angry, you're more likely to stay engaged on that topic or post. They put stuff out there that makes you mad, hoping that you'll stick around. So keep that in mind the next time that you're scrolling social media. Does your attitude towards the government honor God? Number two, do your actions towards the government honor God? Beyond just paying taxes, how else can we submit to governing authorities. Well, in Paul's mind, this submission moves well beyond those in Congress. It moves down to city governments, law enforcement, school officials. If there are any students in this room who are heading off to college soon, it means submitting to your power-hungry RA who is desperate to cling to the smallest bit of authority given to them. For children in this room, it means submitting to parents and teachers. And for everyone in this room, it means obeying God in the mundane, paying your taxes, obeying traffic speed limits, obeying traffic laws. For me, it means not jaywalking across 151st and walking my lazy self down to the crosswalk like a normal person. Those are all forms of worship, and those are things that we should do. We are called to submit to those above us even when we don't like it. And part of submission is obedience. Part of submission is obedience. Let me give you an example, and this was something that timed out really, really well. It was almost as if someone was ordaining things that were going on in my life. But as I was writing this message, uh, my family and I were dealing with the city of Belton government. Um, you see, along my property, there's a storm drainage way 
um, that, that runs in there. And leading into that storm drainage way is a hill that's very steep. Uh, I'm not a mathematician, but I estimate it to be about a 90 degree angle, <laughs> roughly. Uh, it's not really that, but it's, it's really, really steep. You can ask Pastor Jonathan. He came over to, uh, to help me out with that. But that hill had become overgrown. I didn't know it was my responsibility. It's on the other side of my fence. It was, it was kind of, you know, I thought it was the city's. But they let me know. They said, uh, you need to clear that or you need to f- or face the penalties given to you. And because of Romans 13, my family and I submitted ourselves to them. We did what every good American would do, and we paid someone to do it for us. <laughs> we disagreed, and we didn't like it, but we submitted out of our reverence to God. Rather than getting upset and yelling and calling their names, we did what we were asked because what they were asking was not a direct violation of God's word. Sure, we asked questions, we raised objections, we wanted to know more information, but ultimately we submitted out of reverence to God. And because of that, the official who was over our case, she's in code enforcement, which I think might be the second worst job in the history of the world, um, noted how pleasant we had behaved and how refreshing that was in her line of work. And it's our hope at some point, maybe we can build a relationship with her and and share Jesus with her and tell her why we had that attitude. But that's Romans 13 lived out. I don't say that for praise. I don't say that so that you can pat me on the back and say, boy." I say that because it timed out really, really well with writing my message. So is there ever a time that we can disobey the government? This may be a part that some people have been waiting for me to get to. Yes, the Bible absolutely allows for civil disobedience under certain circumstances. And we have examples of both in our Bibles. Number one, we are allowed to disobey the government when the government forbids what God commands. And in Acts, when John and Peter were told to stop sharing the gospel, they responded with disobedience. Number two, we are allowed to disobey the government when the government commands what God forbids. And Daniel, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were commanded to worship the idol, they responded with disobedience. These aren't, the other case, these aren't the only cases, but they're one of many. And both of these cases that I stated have a couple things in common. Number one, the command from the governing authority was explicitly and directly in violation of God's word. So when can we disobey? When their command explicitly or directly goes against God's word, not personal preferences. And also in both cases, they disobeyed but they also accepted the consequences of their actions. They knew that the authorities above them had been placed there by God. They obeyed God, but they accepted their punishments. And that's where submission and obedience work well together. Civil disobedience is always done with the right heart and a right attitude. So my encouragement to you is to pray for your leaders and submit to them when it does not directly conflict with God's word. Uh, this passage in Romans is difficult. It's, it's not difficult to understand, but it's something that sometimes is difficult to follow. As citizens on earth, we are called to submit to those above us. All authorities, no exceptions. We're called to honor and respect those above us, regardless of political affiliation, beliefs, race, gender, and so on. We're called to pray for those above us. Now, this passage has certain assumptions tied to it. Going back to Romans 12, this is a passage for believers. This is instruction to people to, who know Jesus. Yes, unbelievers are called to submit. But if you're an unbeliever in this room, 
my encouragement to you is to submit and obey the ultimate and the best authority in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have never experienced the life-changing grace that Jesus Christ offers and made him Lord of your life, I want to invite you to have a conversation with us this morning. No strings attached, easy conversation, no pressure. We'll have elders up here, we'll have staff members, uh, we'll have church members that would love to just have a conversation with you about what they have experienced with Jesus in their lives. So church, my, my prayer is that you have heard these words with grace. Would you join me in prayer, please?